After days of tough grilling by the Senate Judiciary Committee, a conservative nominee to the Supreme Court seems on a path to confirmation. Then, at the last minute, a woman from his past comes forward with graphic claims of sexual misconduct. The confirmation process is thrown into turmoil. Are the accuser's claims credible? Is she making them up or being manipulated by liberal interest groups resorting to anything they can to derail a nominee chosen by the Republican president? Republicans tear into the accuser, suggesting she may be a fantasist, while Democrats and women's groups insist she deserves to be heard and believed. The hearing that follows is a spectacle that divides the nation. This may all sound like it's torn from today's headlines about Brett Kavanaugh and his accuser, Christine Blasey Ford. In fact, we're talking about the historic confrontation between Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas 27 years ago this month. It's our subject on today's Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So uh, we all well remember those days 27 years ago uh, when uh, Anita Hill went before the Senate and made those startling allegations against Clarence Thomas. And I still remember how glued everybody was to their TV sets watching those hearings. Absolutely. And um, I was in the hearing room for a lot of that time. And those hearings went late into the night. And it was like an out-of-body experience. I mean, it was such a charged spectacle uh, with, uh, you know, obviously allegations of sex and sexism and race um, and and politics and, um, and you know, truth and lies. Um, it was just crazy. Um, and you, there were times when you sort of just couldn't believe um, it was happening. Um, and... You know, the fact that um, we are going through something similar all these years later uh, is is kind of mind boggling. A lot changed. A lot changed. Well, a lot changed um, after uh, Anita Hill. It was this kind of inflection point. Um, It was um, uh, a a kind of moment when um, the culture, uh, our society, um, policymakers, um, began to really understand um, the extent to which sexual harassment was a real issue in the workplace. Um, and it took many, many years um, uh, for that to kind of uh, filter through um, workplaces around the country, and there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, but, uh, but that was a, a real turning point on that issue. It, it was, but also what, what I remember uh, most vividly was the... the fierce determination of both sides to prevail on that confrontation. This was politics at its most raw. Um, the defenders of Clarence Thomas were throwing everything in the kitchen sink at Anita Hill, doing everything to cast aspersions on her character, on her credibility, on her sanity. Uh, and uh, by the same token, uh, the defenders of, um, of, of Anita Hill were uh, tearing into Clarence Thomas and uh, doing everything he can- they could to bring him down. And of course, um, you know, both sides, you know, portrayed themselves as uh, being interested in getting at the truth, 
but it was really about winning politically and flipping a very key seat on the Supreme Court. This was uh, the seat of Thurgood Marshall, a uh, a, a strong liberal, the first African American uh, on the court, a civil rights leader and pioneer, and uh, he was and Clarence Thomas, although African American, was a very strong conservative with a entirely different judicial philosophy. That's right. Uh, you know, it, it was a huge partisan brawl, but it is also the case uh, that there were, uh, you know, Democrats, for example, um, who kind of got caught flat-footed, didn't quite understand uh, what was happening, how the, co- how the country was changing. Um, uh, Joe Biden, um, who was on the Senate Judiciary Committee at the time, chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, as I recall, um, uh, was initially uh, reluctant to call Anita Hill, um, didn't, uh, uh, didn't want to call um, uh, another witness who uh, people thought would be able to corroborate uh, Anita Hill. Um, and he got uh, pilloried uh, by women uh, for the way he uh, handled himself in the hearings. And of course, um, the, uh, the, the Anita Hill-Clarence Thomas hearings is what um, unleashed the, the Year of the Woman, uh, 1992, um, you know, there there were only two women in the Senate at the time, and uh, in 1992, it ushered in a whole new crop of women uh, candidates. Many many of whom won. One of them was Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is now the ranking um, Democrat on the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. Uh, Joe Biden, by right. the way, uh, realized how much damage that had 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 caused him, um, and uh, not too much longer, um, he. Um, uh, sponsored uh, the the uh, Violence Against Women Act, uh, which was a very important piece of legislation, and uh, and is uh, justifiably, I think, going to be an important part of his legacy. And also worth remembering that the fiercest liberal um, on the uh, on the committee was Ted Kennedy, who was essentially neutered a little bit compromised all yeah. yeah through those hearings this was uh, uh, everybody remembered the uh, William Kennedy uh, Smith rape uh, uh, allegations and trial that had just taken place uh, and uh, Kennedy of course was there on the scene when his nephew was uh, credibly was charged with uh, raping somebody who was uh, brought back to the Kennedy compound uh, it was uh, an awkward moment for uh, Senator Kennedy, and uh, he barely uh, spoke when uh, the when Anita Hill and uh, Clarence Thomas uh, appeared before the committee. Indeed, um, indeed. Well, we we are fortunate uh, to have uh, Terry Moran, um, who is a senior national correspondent for ABC News, uh, former chief forest foreign correspondent for ABC News, um, and my former colleague. Uh, at uh, a uh, newspaper of blessed memory in Washington, D.C. called Legal Times, uh, where uh, the two of us uh, covered the uh, Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill hearings all those many years ago in 1991. Um, so, Terry, welcome to Skullduggery's Buried Treasure. Uh, and um, and uh, Isakoff, uh, you, covered, uh, you covered Anita Hill, uh, Clarence I, Thomas I as well. I did indeed. Um, a bit on the periphery, but I did. Uh, I did cover it. So, Terry, does this uh, seem like uh, deja vu all over again? You know, I could not believe when these charges against uh, Judge Kavanaugh emerged that we were going to go through this again. 
It, in fact, it, it, was, it was in part because of the fiasco that the Senate made of the Anita Hill hearings that I decided to get out of Washington was after the, after those hearings, uh, the guy who was running the newspaper, Danny and I were, were, were working for founded court TV and said, do you want to go travel around the country and cover trials? I said, anything to get out of Washington. <laughs> Actually, I felt terrible about how they had trashed really both of them, but both obviously them. Anita Hill came in for the worst of it. And I think I thought the same thing, uh, uh, here, which is that whatever one thinks of, uh, of, of the charges and of Judge Kavanaugh and of uh, Christine Ford, this is no way of getting at the truth of this. This hypermedia circus, this partisan battle masquerading well, as an investigation. Well, Terry, let me uh, just let me let me let me cut you off here for a second. Is is uh, is that what this is all about? Uh, getting to the truth, or is it just a par- going to be just a partisan brawl? And it's at the end of the day, it's about winning. This is this is about power. This is about winning. The, this is the crown jewel of the Republican Party's efforts for decades to turn that court uh, towards a permanent conservative majority, and and the the Democrats having lost the 2016 election where they could have secured that court, uh, now are desperate to fight any way possible. Uh, to to try to save it, perhaps past the midterms, if if big if they they can turn the Senate. It's it's raw power politics with two people involved, uh, you know, who one of them may well be lying, but who also you know are human beings. And I think one of the things having covered Anita Hill sitting in that hearing room till two in the morning, whatever it was. It was a totally different experience than watching it on TV. On TV, like so many things, it it, it was a game show. And uh, in this era of Twitter and social media, it's going to be even worse on these people and their children and their families. And I kind of dread the whole thing. Terry, you talked about what a fiasco the Hill-Thomas hearings were. Uh, But for those of our listeners who didn't live through it, uh, explain what you mean by that and, and how it came about. Well, it was eerily similar, right? So uh, Clarence Thomas, nominated to take the place of uh, Justice Thurgood Marshall, uh, went through uh, the regular hearings, days of hearings, in which he actually uh, you know, dodged all the questions so much he said he'd never even had a personal opinion on Roe versus Wade, and the hearings closed. And then there had been these rumors, just like, uh, just like in this case for weeks, that there was something in his background. And uh, it, it turned out, I think uh, Nina Totenberg of NPR broke the story that there was a woman who was alleging uh, she had uh, received very coarse and unpleasant attention from uh, Clarence Thomas, who was her boss at the time. And that was Nita Hill. And she eventually described it as sexual harassment, which is kind of a new concept for many, many people back in 1991. And so they brought them both back for these the spectacle of of a very, very dramatic charge by Anita Hill uh, in detail, the kind of uh, conduct that she alleged against uh, Clarence Thomas, and then this ferocious response from from Thomas, which carried the day, uh, a level of emotion and intensity and eloquence about about uh, his outrage being accused of this and about what it did to a black man in particular to be accused of sexual misconduct. 
and then a parade of witnesses for I, for for each one. It was just and the the all male Senate Judiciary Committee, including Senator Ted Kennedy. Uh, you know, may he rest in peace. Who, uh, whose own history in matters of women was wasn't great. He was sitting there as if he had a bag over his head. He could barely look up from from the table. They just made fools of themselves. And at the end of the day, the immediate polls showed that the country believed Clarence Thomas more. Uh, and there wasn't actually that much difference between men and women. The difference was party. Uh, and and Thomas was confirmed by a very narrow margin at the end of the day. But I think most people felt that the process uh, was disgraceful. And, um, and just to remind people of what the uh, of what the some of the allegations were, um, Hill didn't say Thomas ever sexually assaulted her or necessarily even touched her. Right? He said right. that uh, he was asking her out. Uh, repeatedly while she was working for him, both at the education department and then at the uh, EEOC, the Equal uh, Employment Opportunity Commission, but uh, did so, uh, his uh, flirtatious tactics, as it were, were quite graphic and repulsive, according to her account. I'm just uh, quoting some of what she said in the hearings. He, Thomas, spoke about such matters as women having sex with animals and films showing group sex or rape scenes. Uh, Thomas graphically described his own sexual prowess and the details of his anatomy and at one point uh, says Thomas examined a can of coke on his desk and asked who has put pubic hair on my coke right Uh, and that was an important distinction you just made that that it was not a sexual assault which is being alleged against Judge Kavanaugh it was a hostile work environment from Thomas pressuring Anita Hill and and essentially poisoning her work environment with uh, lurid sexual comments which he denied absolutely Uh, and and Anita Hill testified uh, in, really in the face of this Judiciary Committee of all men who kind of, I, I think, didn't get it. And in fact, there was this slogan that came out of there uh, that, that this had happened to her and it mattered, and it should matter. But Thomas, uh, I think, as I say, the emotional vehemence of his response carried the day. Well, we talked about um, the similarities um, and the sort of uh, parallels between what happened in 1991 with Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill and what's happening now with Judge Kavanaugh. Um, but there are also some significant uh, uh, differences, right? I mean, um, first of all, there are now uh, women on the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. They all happen to be Democrats. Um, in fact, um, and, and there are no, no men, no uh, 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 women on the, uh, on, on the Republican side. Um, one other uh, uh, difference is, is that um, – their um, race was a huge factor uh, back in 1991. Um, so, you know, you had uh, obviously Clarence Thomas was African-American and Nita Hill was. So that was another um, mm. issue injected into uh, the spectacle um, of, of those hearings. Um, but I want to talk about uh, gender for, for a minute because Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas was an inflection point in terms of um, uh, how seriously we as a society took the issue of sexual harassment. And we are now – this is now unfolding in the middle of the, uh, the, the hashtag MeToo uh, movement. Um, what impact um, are those social changes uh, going to have on, uh, on this as it plays out, do you think, or none at all? 
Well, huge. Uh, it, it's a huge factor. We're a different country. And as far as uh, the empowerment of, of women in the workplace and elsewhere, a better country in the Senate, as you just pointed out, we're a better country. And I think that, that what is what rides here for Republicans and Democrats alike is since that as they look at these allegations, not that they assume that they're true or anything, but as they look at them, they 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 give them equal weight. The words that 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 uh, Professor Ford wants to speak equal weight that they would anyone else. There was a sense, really from the get-go, around uh, Anita Hill, that she was just denigrated by a certain portion of the Republican Party. I remember, and, and some Democrats as well. I remember the senator from Alabama, Hal Heflin, uh, leaning into his microphone and asking her, "Are you a scorned woman?" I thought, what's a scorned woman? I really think it was, <laughs> it's, it's scorned women. But there yeah. were questions like that. She was, Arlen Specter essentially accused her of, of what we, today we would call erotomania, right? Having a fixation on, on Clarence Thomas. Well, and, rather by the, than rec- and by the way, Terry, uh, one of the uh, Republican senators who is still on the committee, uh, and there are a couple of them, uh, but Orrin Hatch, who I think is now 85 mm-hmm. years old, I, my, I recall Orrin Hatch, uh, you know, first of all, suggesting that she was coached by special interest groups, uh, but also uh, that uh, she may have um, invented some of the allegations. They may have come out of um, oh, her right. reading of The Exorcist, uh, you know, the horror novel about uh, demonic possession. <laughs> Right, right, right. And he did find an odd, you know, I think it was Orrin Hatch actually who found that the pubic hair on the coke was a detail that had also appeared in an appellate court case. Uh, it's somewhere in the in the uh, in the law around sexual harassment. That that was a line that had already been used. Uh, Hatch, I believe, tried to make that uh, look like Anita Hill had just relifted it from from the appeals court record. On the other hand, both she and Thomas at the time were working on that on that area of law. So either one of them could have seen it, or maybe that was just a weird that was just a weird way of harassing women. At the it's time. impressive that and they. That, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was just going to say there are also some other sort of details that are worth remembering. Uh, that you know, one of the points that I think uh, Thomas's defenders made is that um, Anita Hill had actually followed him uh, to the EEOC. And after she had already worked for him at the education department. And the point was made that if this harassment was so um, uh, so uncomfortable for her, why did she accept an opportunity to work for him again at EOC? Did she ever have a good answer for that? Well, that she was ambitious and she didn't, she felt that she could, you know, deal with this and wanted to, to continue the important work, the opportunity that she had to, to do the work in a field that she loved, uh, despite it, through that. And there were p- people that came forward and said that many women, and I think uh, all of us at the time who talked to our loved ones, discovered that, you know, many women had to put up with that garbage right in in the workforce and did nevertheless sometimes be promoted get promoted by their harassers or 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 work right through that harassment so i think that that one of the things about the anita hill 
Clarence Thomas dispute is, is the objections or the challenges to her testimony were often met by, you don't get it. You don't get what it's like to work in these male-dominated environments where this kind of thing has to happen. And you have to do it if you want to work, if you want to succeed. One of the big differences here is that much of what uh, Christine Blasey Ford, uh, Professor Ford has alleged is checkable. You know, uh, it, it's funny. How well, so? uh, well, she describes other people. Right. Mark Judge is a or is, is someone that she says was in the room. She says there were other people at the party. Could they somewhat, be a somewhat down? checkered witness? I might add. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, but won't he yes, have indeed. to be if if I mean, she if names is... another witness? She says there were other people at the party that could be that could be tracked down. She describes the interior of the house. Uh, you know, the, she doesn't remember exactly whose it was or even really necessarily where it was, but she knows. It, and that, to me, has a ring of credibility that, that, that she remembers a genuine incident. Uh, witnesses have accidental memory. She said, I just remember you go up the stairs and you go to the left and there was the bathroom. She remembered where things were, that there was uh, loud music playing. She had, there were all kinds of things that would be checkable facts. And Anita Hill, for whatever reason, alleged very explicit details of C Thomas's comments, but when asked, and she was badly questioned by the senators, you know, okay, what, what time of year, or should there was an incident in the restaurant, do you remember what kind of food was at the restaurant? She, she was unable to summon to her memory uh, at that moment those kinds of details. I think that, it, yeah. that if they have decent questioning, uh, and if Professor Ford does show up for her hearing, which I don't think she's accepted yet, she could, in fact, uh, get more corroboration because those yeah. are yeah. so. This is going to this facts. is going to play out like a like a trial. I mean, if it's if it's uh, done publicly, um, and you know, one one I think significant difference between then and now, um, uh, you know, and this goes to the sort of societal changes that you were talking about, is when Anita Hill. Um, uh, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1991, in a very real way, the burden of proof was on her. Mm. Um, and uh, it seems to me that that, if it hasn't flipped, uh, it at least at least it's it's balanced out. And I think that uh, if she is a, a credible witness, and if uh, the the those kinds of details that you mentioned uh, hold up, uh, you know, it it could be really problematic for yeah. Kavanaugh. Although I got to say, I have to differ a little bit on uh, on the idea that the facts here are checkable, because it seems to me, uh, you know, we're talking about a teenage party, mm. you know, more than thirty years ago, of which there's undoubtedly no record, uh, unless somebody comes forward with some sort of video of it. How can one possibly? check any of these details. Uh, it's all very long ago, hazy memories. Everybody seems to have been drinking. Um, I don't see any way that you could reliably check any of the details that went on that night. Well, I'd, I'd certainly defer to your expertise on that. I just felt that I felt I feel there's more of a scene of a place that has uh, that has been described in in physical detail and other people that have been named and identified who could be at least questioned if they could be even found. But I think you're basically right. These are this is a very, very long time ago. And I think as far as the burden of proof or the benefit of the doubt is considered, I mean, I remember what. When, when the Clarence Thomas uh, nomination came to the Senate floor, Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia gave a, gave a speech. He was originally a yes vote for Clarence Thomas. 
And he, he said, you know, I've been thinking about the benefit of the doubt. Should we give the benefit of the doubt to Anita Hill or to Clarence Thomas? He said, I think we should give the benefit of the doubt to the Supreme Court. And he voted against Thomas. And I think probably today, uh, whereas I think, Danny, you're right, the, Anita Hill came into those hearings having to prove something. I think today the country's probably a little bit more fair-minded saying, look, this is a, this is a lifetime appointment to the Supreme Court. These are serious, serious charges. Let's take a look at what's happening. Um, you know, uh, one other uh, difference, uh, as it were, possible difference here is you talk, Terry, about just how vehement uh, Thomas was in his uh, denial of these allegations, quite uh, vividly, quite emphatic, and quite emotional. Uh, mm. We all watched Brett Kavanaugh during his uh, during his hearings uh, a week or so ago, and um, vehement, emphatic, emotional are not words that come to mind to describe his demeanor. Uh, now that may change. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he does respond if he testifies next Monday, but, um, you know, it doesn't seem to me that, you know, he has the kind of emotional stuff to make the kind of, uh, uh, to make the kind of response that uh, Clarence Thomas did. I think you're right. They're very different people. And, and I think one of the things that, that is a challenge for, for Judge Kavanaugh, and once again, I, I have compassion for everybody involved in this because they're going to be, you know, they're going to be roasted here, uh, but that his high school years were pretty rowdy from what we can tell. Already in his own high school yearbook, he, he mentions quite a bit of fun times and people that, uh, that, that, that we've talked to recall uh, nothing like what is being alleged here, but, but a great deal of boisterous and rowdy, kind of naughty, drunken fun for high schoolers, which is, believe me, no, no, no rarity in America. And he was questioned about it in his hearings, Judge Kavanaugh was. It was Senator uh, Kennedy of Louisiana who asked Judge Kavanaugh, well, what kind of high school student were, th were you? Were you, were you more uh, John Boy Walton or were you Ferris Bueller? And he he really had trouble answering it. You almost could feel, and maybe I'm just projecting backwards now that I've seen the tape again, he kind of didn't want to race, perhaps because his daughters were sitting there, you know, the kind of, the kind of shenanigans he may have been up to in high school. And I think that that's, uh, he, he may not be able to summon that emotional vehemence. He's a cool character. And there may be something in particular. It's one thing he's conducted his professional life by all accounts, immaculately, maybe not, his high school life in some ways that, yeah. uh, you know, th that may be a psychological barrier for him, but he's just not the same kind of guy. And one of the things that, that Thomas did is he racialized it, uh, you know, the high tech lynching. And I'll never forget the uh. gesture he made. He, he pointed to his chest. He said, I'm never getting this off of me. And what he meant was a sexual, uh, an allegation of sexual misconduct against a black man in America has a, we you know, our weird psycho sexual, racial history, uh, he knew that he was never going to get it off of me. He, in his own mind, certainly believed uh, he was innocent, or else he's the greatest actor I've ever seen. Um, Let me just make just one cautionary note about um, kind of assumptions that, that uh, I've seen some people make about the kind of cultural milieu that uh, a guy like Brett Kavanaugh comes out. I'm the same age as Kavanaugh. Um, I grew up in uh, the suburbs of, of Washington, D.C. I knew uh, kids from that era who went to uh, Georgetown uh, prep. And there is this sense that these 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 kids uh, were entitled. There was a lot of drinking going on, um, a lot of partying, um, and um, and that, uh, you know, some of this conduct, you know, with women um, was was commonplace. And, you know, there may be some truth to that. But um, it I, I always think about 
um, that uh, that uh, case uh, down in Duke a few years back with those lacrosse players, uh, similar kind of cultural archetypes, um, entitled, uh, you know, rich kids, spoiled rich kids who uh, could get away with whatever they wanted to get away with. And of course, that that turned out, um, you know, not to be true. So. Um, so I, I, I sort of hesitate to, 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 to sort of traffic in those kinds of uh, generalizations, um, mm. not suggesting that anybody on, <laughs> on this podcast has done that, but there's a little bit of a whiff of that in the air um, that I, I have thought about and want to be careful about. Maybe, maybe we should get our old buddy Stuart Taylor who wrote, he the, wrote, book, a, he wrote the book about the, that. Uh, That's right. Uh, about that case uh, on to talk Stuart about Stuart Taylor, it. by the way, who I think probably was, was he working with us at Legal Times at the time? I think he was. I think he was. I'm yeah. pretty sure he was. Yes. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he was. Yeah. And, and Terry, you knew uh, Thomas. I mean, you covered him on the D.C. circuit and you, you, uh, you got to know him a bit, didn't you? A little bit, yes. Yeah. At that time, you know, he was he was um, garrulous. He had this amazing laugh, this kind of belly laugh, yes. very uh, yes. charismatic in a lot of ways. Very much so. And I found him in, intellectually enthusiastic for debate. He wanted to tell you what he was reading. And I remember when I talked to him, the, the last time I, I talked to him, he, he was reading Whitaker Chambers' Witness, right? The great anti-communist yeah. <laughs> uh, memoir. He was, and he couldn't wait to, to tell you about it, what a great book it was and all that. And, and it was, there was an enthusiasm for the battle of ideas around him that uh, was bled right out of him. I actually, I, I, I'm pretty sure he would agree that the hearings changed him, certainly in the early tenure of his court. He was uh, he was he well, was savage. How, how, no, wait, that's fascinating. Angry. Was was he reading witness before uh, the Anita Hill hearings? Um, yes, he was. Because, yes, because was. of course, prior to Anita Hill and uh, Clarence Thomas, if you had to pick a another epic moment in a Senate confirmation hearing or congressional confirmation hearing, it would have been Whitaker Chambers <laughs> and Alger Hiss, right? True. Yeah. That's true. Chambers was the accuser, and and Hiss was the accused. Well, I wonder That's what right. I wonder what Brett Kavanaugh is reading. Uh, uh, <laughs> Terry, uh, uh, excellent of you to join us. Uh, this little stroll down memory lane, memory lane, not the most pleasant experience of our lives. What a crazy yeah. spectacle that was, and it was depressing in a lot of ways. Um, and it looks like we're about to. Uh, relive history um, and uh, well, let's hope they do it better this time, right? They bet they they better do it. They better do it. They better, better do it That's better. Right. Exactly. That's right. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us uh, on right. Buried Treasure, and we'll talk soon. Good. Good. Thanks, good. Terry. Thanks, guys. One last coda uh, to this discussion, and it's a bit of a personal one. Uh, and that was uh, some years later uh, when Paula Jones came forward to make her claims against uh, Bill Clinton, who by then was president of the United States. And um, there was quite a bit of debate within the Washington Post newsroom about how to handle those allegations. Uh, Jones had quite a, a graphic account of being summoned to Bill Clinton's hotel room while he was governor, uh, Clinton making unsolicited sexual overtures, and then uh, ultimately uh, dropping his pants and asking for oral sex. and. Um, uh, how does the Post handle this? Uh, were these claims worthy of, uh, of, of, of coverage in the Washington Post and detailed examination? And I made the argument that uh, given uh, the importance we had all given to the Anita Hill allegations, uh, we had to take the Paula Jones uh, claims just as seriously and investigate them and report them out. Uh, and of course, uh, we ultimately did. And uh, 
um, it uh, ultimately led, after Paula Jones filed a sexual harassment lawsuit, to the um, impeachment of Bill Clinton. So when people talk about the shockwaves of the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas hearings, and the, imp the long-term impact they had, um, we should remember uh, that uh, that cut in many different ways um, for both sides on the political spectrum. Well, no matter how advanced and evolved the society we become, I think it's fair to say that sex, uh, power, and lies uh, will be part of our politics probably in perpetuity. And on that note, um, we should close this week's edition of Buried Treasure. Thanks to Terry Moran for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget you can subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, tell us what you think. Leave a review. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you.